0: Radioinfluence.com. The future is now.
1: This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders. Here are your hosts, Jason Floyd of the MMA Report and the President of Combat Sports Media, Sam Kaplan. Welcome to the MMA Insiders Podcast. Yes, we are back. It's been about 11 months. I was actually looking at the podcast feed to see the last time Sam and I had done <laughs> a uh, show together. And of course, it was last week You know, on, on social media. So I was like, hey, we all guys do a, a podcast about what's going on with... UFC 249 and MMA and this global pandemic for COVID 19, aka the coronavirus, and of course we are here, Sam. First off, Sam, man, how, how are you and the family dealing with this?
0: I'm very fortunate in that I'm in an industry where it's been deemed essential. I, you know, work in the food supply chain. Um, you know, and I was on the marketing side for the company that I work for, but you know, there really isn't much to do on the marketing side right now, at least in terms of field marketing. So I've been transitioned to a sales manager role. So just be going out into the stores and really helping our distributor. Uh, a lot of our distributor reps are, are not comfortable going into stores. I'm a little bit more comfortable going in there. So we're going in uh, you know, and we're, we're doing some of the you know, day-to-day functions that we normally wouldn't do. I've done deliveries for our distributor. Um, I've gone in, you know, uh, my, my company and I, you know, we've gone into uh, the company I work for. We've gone into stores and we've packed out products that that aren't that are not ours. We've gone in there to help our retail partners. A lot of uh, retail uh, stores have been hit pretty hard. A lot of their personnel have uh, taken a, a leave of absence. Uh, you know, some of them have compromised immune systems, autoimmune diseases. You know, if someone has asthma. Uh, It doesn't matter how high up they are in the food chain. They cannot really, it's not safe for them to to work. So a lot of people uh, have uh, taken leaves of absences involved in the food supply chain. So we've tried to go in there, uh, you know, make a positive impact. You know, we've done a lot of product donations as well to uh, ERs and other essential uh, medical personnel, trying to keep them going. They're working crazy hours, crazy shifts. Uh, they need caffeine, they need coffee, so I, I do work for a coffee company, so we're trying to uh, you know uh, help them out in any way we can make as much of a positive impact as any uh, in any way we can possibly uh, do so.
1: You know, the way I described it here in Tampa is like when all this kind of really started happening, and you know people were going to the grocery store and getting things for me, I felt like a hurricane was coming. The way people were at the grocery store buying things and like even I was at the grocery store last night just, you know, kind of picking up some things for, for the week. And the thing that really stuck out to me was like the, you go down the canned food aisle. There's nothing. Obviously, yeah. the toilet paper pair of products, everyone knows about that. And even like, you know, I was going in there to get some steaks and, you know, and you had to kind of wait for them. To oh, come. Forget
0: the meat. Yeah, the meat. is <laughs> Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's it's taken a while. It's going to take you know a few more weeks for the food supply chain to catch up. They're they're doing a little bit of a better job now, but I think people really got scared, and I think there was a paranoia, and I think you know some of it's understandable. Uh, just about all of us is have never lived through a global pandemic before, so I think there's a lot of uncertainty. People don't know what to expect. There were a lot of rumors with regards to uh, how freely we would be, out, be able to move uh, you know, out and about. So I think a lot of people anticipated being you know, truly quarantined, not even being able to leave their house legally to even go to the grocery stores. There were rumors that the grocery stores were going to close. So right. I think people went in and initially bought up everything in sight. Now there's also a higher demand because there's no schools. You know, a lot of kids are at home. Uh, you know, the, the school lunch program, they provided a lot of meals to our children and, you know, everybody's at home now for the most part. You know, people aren't eating out as much. You know, if you worked in an office and you used to go out and, you know, get takeout for lunch, you're now at home. So I think a lot of people now are, are cooking a lot more. Uh, they're not able to go out. So the, there's a little bit of a greater and a different shifting demand on the food, uh, food supply chain.
1: Yeah, I mean, when you talk about our world of mixed martial arts, I mean, you kind of go back to you know when Bellator was supposed to do the show at Mohegan, that you know Ultimate Fight Day it it's postponed, and and I remember you know leading that whole week, you know, I, I was making calls of like, hey, is this event going to happen? Going to happen? And everything was then you know day of the, of the fight, nah. Scott Coker, you know, pulls the decision, and you know one of the things I've always said about you know when you cover this sport. Is that you have to praise a promoter when they do something, when they make the right call, and be critical when you know they're making a call that you don't agree with. And, and I think Scott Coker should absolutely be praised for what he did—the fact of and, and paying the fighters as well. He paid everyone that was scheduled to work the event, not just not just the fighters, but you know the production crew that was you know had already set up. The venue was entirely set up. So it was ready to go, yeah. and then of course it doesn't happen. And then we see, you know, you know, the UFC was, you know, ended up going ahead with Brazil, you know, the UFC Brasilia show with, with no one in attendance. They tried to do the London one that that of course did not happen, and it was so what, late last week we finally heard that fighters were were compensated for that show. Bellator has already canceled all of their May events. Of course, two of those were supposed to be in California, and one over in London. And of course, now we know UFC is, uh, we don't know, I guess, uh, what parts unknown. Is that what we're calling where UFC 249 is going to happen? Um, and and look, in a way, I understand why Dana White maybe doesn't want to reveal the location. You know, from his aspect, I, I understand why he doesn't want to do it because, look, there's, you know, there's obviously a lot of criticism to be laid at the UFC and their handling of it. And there's so many facets to talk about this, Sam, in terms of, how they've handled this, you know, um, you know, like, look, you know, as we're you know, doing the show, it was just, what, two, two and a half hours ago that they announced <clears throat> Ferguson, Gaethje, and the fact it's going to be on pay-per-view, you know, I writ, right on the ESPN app, you know, for current ESPN Plus subscribers, $65, and, and I look at the Sam, and I go, when you look at the financial crisis that a, a good percentage of Americans are dealing with right now, some may not even – have a job. They may have already been let go from their job or maybe they've been furloughed or whatnot and you know, and we don't know when our life is going to go back to normal. When's the economy going back to normal? Is, you know, people are saying, you know what, do I want to shell out sixty five bucks for a UFC pay per view or do I want to save that money because I need mortgage payment. I need rent payment. You know, and so I look at it from that aspect and I just look at the UFC going, like, do you guys understand what's going on in our world?
0: It's interesting because I've tried to get into the head of ESPN with regards to the thought process of keeping this on pay-per-view. If you're ESPN, are you happy or disappointed if this is it still a pay-per-view event? If the UFC is still insisting that, hey, we're going to fulfill our obligation to provide a pay-per-view event, because if you look at the financial structure, the UFC gets paid a certain amount regardless of what the buys are. It's really the ESPN that's taking on more of the financial liability with regards to how well this sells. And the marketing for this event is completely different than a normal pay-per-view. But on the ESPN side, you, could, you know, the happy side, maybe they're looking at it from the perspective, hey, we've got this app that we've invested a lot in. We're not able to offer really any unique content right now. We will take anything and everything, even if we take a loss on this, it's still great to be able to promote this and be able to retain subscriptions and potentially even bring a couple new ones in. For me, the the, the easier decision, the smarter decision would be to put this event on ESPN, regular ESPN. As I'm sure everyone's well aware, (laughs) not much unique live sports content going on right now. There's a lot of negativity associated with Dana White's insistence on trying to put on this event and if you put it on for on ESPN there's a feel good aspect you can sell it from the aspect that hey sell it to the public that hey you know people need a distraction right now there's not much going on you can't even go to a, a movie right now you can't see a first run movie in the theaters you know that all the movie theaters are closed even production of movies have been shut down they're not filming new movies there's not much going on in, you know with regards to new content in 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 terms of you know entertainment and media And here's this big event that we're going to put on ESPN. You know, if you're if you have cable, you're going to get it as opposed to producing this event and hiding it behind a double paywall. You know, you have to have ESPN plus. Then you have to pay for the pay-per-view but i you know i don't know about the mechanics with regards to espn's input is this the ufc just saying hey we have a contractual obliga- obligation to produce a pay-per-view we're producing it pay us our money pay us our fee or is is you know does espn have the ability to pivot and say hey you know what you also owe us you know uh, espn events and you know e- you know um, regular events you know we we would like to count this towards one of our regular events i don't know how that works to be honest with you but i think from a feel good perspective uh, ESPN and, and and the UFC could divert a lot of criticism that they're going f- to face by trying to move forward with this event by putting it on as a regular ESPN event as opposed to a pay per view with a large ask as the price.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, if I was if I was in programming for ESPN, I want this on regular ESPN because I truly believe that you're going to be able to sell more in ad revenue, even though. Advertising is a very tough industry right now. I mean, I can, as someone who yep. runs a, a digital media company, I can flat out tell you, you know, they're
0: reducing their commercial breaks. Yeah, they, they mean, haven't sold enough inventory.
1: And like, even when I watch like local television, you know, watch the local news, it's about the same three or four commercials. I, I feel like I've seen uh, the same window commercial about you know eighty times. <laughs> I've seen the car dealer commercial. I mean, it, it's the same over and over, and, and I just. You know, there was an article that came out in one of the Radio Trade Publications today that talked about just how bad the, the ad agency ad advertising business is. Now, look, I, this is full disclosure. If UFC 249 happens next Saturday, it will be financially beneficial to me because I have an advertiser who wants to be on my podcast next week, and it's all contingent on there being UFC 249. So, it, it's... And look, and, and I expect that there's probably going to be a couple advertisers going to want to jump on just because it's sports. And, like, I, I, I feel for... Like you look at the daily fantasy sports industry. I mean, the industry pretty much, you know, you know, DraftKings, FanDuel, all, all of them out there have struggled because of, of there's no sports. And it's like, you know, I, I look I look at Dana White and I'm like, I, I go back to the point of like, is he lost touch of what reality is? I think that he definitely he wants to be that sports commissioner that puts on the first fight. But, you know, Sam, like you've been around this industry for a long time. What the UFC has had to do is a go to tribal lands, which they have said they would not do. And B, they're commission shopping. If this was a normal scenario and it was coming out that the UFC was commission shopping, you know, the, the ridicule they would get would be everywhere. I mean, of course, there's ridicule they're getting for this anyway.
0: For the UFC, they want to get to as much of a self-contained environment as possible. You look at what AEW and the WWE has been able to do. You know, they're able to kind of, you know, work around the fringes and put on and produce content. Uh, MMA is much different in the sense that you're relying on an athletic commission to legislate and run your event, and you know there's always, you know, as someone who's been involved with promoting and producing events, MMA events, there are always things that go wrong, and if you're resourceful enough, you can get around those logistics and kind of, you know, go to backups and and pull off last minute solutions and kind of save the event. But when you're in a global pandemic, I would assume that it's going to be a little bit tough. For instance, let's say I, I've worked events where the the uh, commission doctor called out sick, and you can't do an event without the commissioned doctor. So you pick up a phone, you make some calls, and you make it happen. Um, You know, I've worked events where the EMTs didn't show up. Um, And you can't do an event without at least one EMT. And really, for a televised event, you need two EMTs because there always has to be one stationed in the back Mm -hmm. at all times. If one EMT, uh, one ambulance takes a fighter to the hospital, there there still has to be an ambulance there. And normally, you know, you can be resourceful. You just pick up a phone, you talk to people and you write checks or you get your credit card out. It's a little different now because you might be offering people money, you might be making phone calls and other people may not be answering or if they're answering, they may just say, you know what, it's not worth it for me to leave the house right now and go work in an environment where there's a lot of people that I do not know and I have no idea what they, what's they what been going on with them. Um, you know, and, and, you know, when you have that type of situation in MMA and the UFC really is not used to facing this because they, they, they're they just, they have so many resources, but there's so many dominoes that are involved with producing a sanctioned MMA competition, an MMA event, where if one of those dominoes falls, it can everything can collapse. It's almost like a house of cards. And the UFC is so big and so powerful, and they have so much money at their disposal, at their disposal, they just they're able to overcome all of that. But this is something different. And I think from a logistical standpoint, I have serious doubts that April 18th is going to happen because. All it takes is for one domino to fall, one card from the House of Cards to fall, and the entire House of Cards can collapse. And the UFC's never – they've produced a lot of events in a lot of different environments, and they've faced a lot of problems, and they've overcome those hurdles and obstacles. They've never produced an event under a global pandemic. And I know Brazil happened a few weeks ago, but a lot has changed Mm -hmm. from a few weeks ago.
1: You know, one of the things that, you know, and and of course, when it was all talked about, hey, they're looking at these tribal lands. And of course, we know the the one outside of Oklahoma City they were looking at doing, of course, ultimately that did not happen. And You know, Florida was mentioned and being in Florida, one of the things that I feel that wasn't really talked about was that there are situations where the tribal land has a relationship with the state. For instance, here in the state of Florida, the Seminole tribe has a relationship with the state of Florida. There is money that the tribe pays Florida for, for what right. they're doing with their casino business. And, and when I would see people say, oh, Tampa is an option, I would laugh. I would go, no, it's not. No, it's not. Because if you were paying attention, you would know the mayor of Tampa was pushing the governor for a stay-at-home order. She wanted to do her own stay-at-home order before the even county would do it. And, of course, it wasn't, you know, obviously it was last week when DeSantis finally done it, so I would always laugh. I thought if there was a, a position in Florida that you would get the state to sign off on, it would have been the WWE Foreman Center. I, I thought that was the venue that would make sense. You know, of course, and everyone pointed towards that no, that March 21st event that was done in Jacksonville. And when I was talking to James Krause about two weeks ago, he was actually at the event. He had a fighter on the card. and he kind of, you know, labeled out how it all worked out. It was a pro-Ammy show. When the amateur portion of the car was, only the Ammys were in the building. And then, when of course, when the pros happened, only only the pros were in the building. And, you know, and they worked it the way it happened. Um, you know, but and there were some questions that we got here. Uh, first off, I want to start off with at George, one UFC fan. He goes, My question is about how much money are they losing each event from ESPN plus ticket sponsors, etc., And how much longer can they sustain this before layoff cuts or just going under? Is the UFC still obligated to keep offering three fights a year? And if so, what happens if this carries on longer than expected? Will they have to pay these fighters or will they start? cutting some of them to avoid having to pay them in terms of how much they get from ESPN plus I've heard numbers, but I I think it's, it's wrong of me to throw the number out there because I, I don't have anything to confirm it. I've heard numbers, uh, but you know, but in terms of obviously, you know, tickets, you know, you're, you're not selling tickets. Sponsors, you know, obviously, if there's no event, the sponsors going to look at it and go, "Why am I paying you if if I'm not paying you?" But there, you know, obviously, I'm I'm sure that that's the marketing departments working with these, you know, companies' marketing departments. In terms of, and I know you can really talk about this three fights a year. Dana White has said that is still his his plan to do it. With. But I know from a contractor aspect, you
0: can kind of talk about that. Well, from a contract standpoint, you know, three fights a year, you have to offer three fights a year. But I'm sure a lot of people are, are very familiar with a with a new contract clause, or not new, but a, a new term that they're maybe not familiar with, and force majeure, you know, a, you know, unforeseen circumstances. So I would think that if a fighter did try, didn't get offered three fights, you know, if this, if the uh, UFC's ability to produce events continue to be compromised for a long period of time, to the point where from a, just a uh, chronological standpoint, they could not offer three fights to a lot of fighters for the year. I would think that Force majeure could potentially go into effect. They could invoke that and prevent a fighter from trying to to leave under those grounds. Um, But I'm not a lawyer. And that's the old term that we used to say, I used to say all the time, I'm not an attorney, but I would think that, you know, this is, unforeseen acts of God, you know, this is an mm-hmm, unforeseen yeah. act of God. Um, uh, and, and, and if you got to think about it from a fighter's perspective, do you really want to leave the UFC under that type of, of, of a clause that, Hey, you didn't offer me three fights. And, you know, if the UFC decides to, uh, you know, prevent a fighter from leaving under that, uh, that, 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 uh, situation, you know, they could take the fighter to court and it could drag on for months, if not years, if they wanted to get an injunction and tie that fighter up. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think that's going to be an issue. And I think for the most part, a lot of people in a lot of different industries have been understanding of this situation. They may not be happy about it. They may be frustrated. They may feel uh, stressed about whether or not they could pay their bills. But I think a lot of people from uh, contractual perspectives understand that, a lot of things that are written in the contract cannot be honored right now, and I think a lot of fighters, as as badly as some of them are hurting, I think they're going to be understanding because they really a lot of people have no other choice at this stage.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that I, as someone who owns a business, my whole like thought this whole time has been is why risk it? Why risk doing an event? It only takes one. And, you know, and and I think that whenever Dana White does an interview that is not a glorified PR interview, where it's a legit interview, where legit questions are being asked. I honestly, one of my first questions would be is for everyone that is working this event, whether they're production, fire, cornerman, are you going to, are they going to have to sign an agreement that holds a UFC harmless if they were to contract the coronavirus? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I wouldn't sign. <laughs> Would you sign that? No, of course not. People he- I mean people are people are dying from this, you know, and what 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 are you going to do if you're the UFC have a uh, production team of, you know, people that are 25 and under and you know, are fit and you know, have strong immune systems? You know, there are a lot of production people uh, that I've encountered that they they they're not able to live the healthiest lifestyle because they're traveling, you know, all the time and a lot of them, you know, uh, and I'm not saying this be negative they are they tend to be older um mm-hmm. so it's you know you're bringing in a lot of people and you don't know their health backgrounds and I think a lot of people it, you know they might agree to work this event but as soon as you put something in front of them like that if the UFC were to do that they're walking out they're not going to sign that because the the risk is so great this isn't the flu i mean people are getting this contracting this and they're ending up In the ER on their deathbed. I'm not saying everyone is in that situation, but there there are people that are 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 just you know they're they are in a bad way from this right now. And you know if you were to end up in the hospital even from this, and you had even if you had health insurance, uh, and you were to survive it, you're potentially looking at a massive hospital bill just uh, Mm -hmm. you know the ventilators and all of the other things that are going to be necessary to, to to keep you alive. Uh, while you fight off the, 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 this virus, so there's going to be a lot of people. If they were asked that, there's no way they're going to sign that. I, I I would think they wouldn't. I would hope I, I hope they wouldn't because they 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 need to understand what the potential risk is.
1: Yeah, I mean you you just wonder if you know is there going to be a referee who's who gets you know calls a like, hey do you want to work this event? You might have a referee goes huh, I don't
0: know. You know that could be a potential issue. The bigger issue is I know from. You know, just from the 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 company I work with, we had people at uh, you know up to seven days ago. They were going, "Oh yeah, I'm going to stay out in the field. I'm going to keep working." And then you know something happens, and a couple of days later, you, that, the, the answer is no. So what if you do? If you know, I'm but I'm, I'm, I'm no, 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 no
1: What I'm thinking? This is what I'm thinking. All of a sudden, they went home, told their spouse they're going to work, and they're like, "Oh no, you ain't working."
0: Well, that that's 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 possibly it, or. I think a lot of people they, they feel like that they're going to be okay if they were to contract it, and then they hear about a relative or a friend that ended up in the hospital from it, and suddenly their worldview changes. And that if I was the UFC, that would be my concern. You might have judges and referees and support personnel that commit to this to, to the April 18th event today, but what happens? 24 hours, 48 hours, they start to pull out, and you don't have enough time and enough resources to backfill, to get backups to come in, and suddenly you're looking at, you know, not having the support personnel that you need to logistically and legally pull off the event. It's just a, you know, it's it's if the UFC proceeds with this, it's going to be a very dicey proposition unlike anything they've ever faced before. And the UFC prides itself on being the promotion that has faced all types of different scenarios, but they have not faced this. So I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I I mean, from the financial perspective, I get it. I totally understand the desire to want to continue to, to, to make it work so that you can continue to run your business operations. You don't have to, you know, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to issue layoffs or furloughs and you don't have to, you know, worry about how you're going to pay your, your, your debt, you know, without, you know, money coming in from your partners. But this is just the reality that a lot of people have to face. And it just seems like Dana is unwilling or unable to come to grips with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the thing that we look how Dana has handled this, you know, and, and, you know, compare it to how Bellator has handled it, you know. Obviously, and, and look, the revenues the UFC has, her, you know, are a million times more than what Bellator has. I think it's, yeah. you know, even though you know Bellator obviously is doing a lot of great things, increasing their revenues and, and and so on. I mean, they've done a lot of great things over over the past year or so. But it's like I look at how Dana has handled this. And I'm just like, man, like. You know, I I understand the financial aspect. I totally understand that. But I also go, it's like, man, you're trying to put together an event in a global pandemic. Like, this is one of those things I would love to be a fly on the wall of to hear the true, legit reason of why they're doing this. Is it because of loan payments that, you know, Endeavor's got to make these these payments? Which I think that's probably the answer.
0: I think that's the answer,
1: you know. But it's just like even if you're ESPN, like, man, I, I, I understand. And look, we all want, we all want to be able to watch sports. I believe today is day twenty without sports. You know, and look, I'm I'm a big sports. That's pretty much all I watch on television. So I would love to sit there to watch sports. No, I don't want to watch two NBA players playing NBA 2K20 on ESPN. Even though I love to play NBA (laughs) 2K, I don't want to watch it on my television. You know, I want to be the one playing the game, not watching people play the game. Do you want to
0: bet on it? Can you bet? Can you bet those? uh,
1: I believe you can.
0: Wow, yeah, that's that doesn't surprise me. I bet you know FanDuel and DraftKings. I bet they're hurting. They 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 need that. Some type of event for people to bet bet on. But one thing I wanted to kind of talk about here. So you look at the NBA. Obviously, every sports league wants to get back in business as Mm -hmm. soon as possible. And you look at what the NBA proposed with regards to their playoffs, maybe doing it in June, July or August, the tournament concept. They at least promoted or leaked a a different concept, something Mm -hmm. that could be uh, safer and, and maybe minimize some of the risks. And if you look at the UFC, the only thing that they've introduced that would be a new wrinkle, that would maybe minimize some of the safety risk, is just to not have a crowd there. But you know, if you're the UFC, you know, you would think they would be maybe get a little bit more creative, start throwing out some of those ideas that the NBA is doing. And you, you look at you look at the UFC, they invented the, the the idea of quarantine quarantine MMA, and that's the ultimate fighter you would think maybe that they would explore something like that, finding a site where they could bring fighters out, quarantine them, do it in a totally controlled environment, bring the support staff in, quarantine them, and do like a six- to eight-week tournament series. Mm-hmm. And th- there's definitely drawbacks to that. There's there's reasons why there would still be safety risks. But at least if they floated a concept like that or explored a concept like that, they're at least introducing to the public, hey, we're doing this with safety in mind. We're going to change the way that we do business. We're going to pivot. The UFC really hasn't pivoted too much with regards to the types of events that they want to run. The only thing like I said that they introduced was we're going to do crowdless events. That's, you know, a, a great way to 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 minimize a lot of the safety risks, but it doesn't doesn't take care of all of it. And I think that, you know, if you're Dana White and you're the UFC and you're this dead set on producing content, why not consider doing an Ultimate Fighter live series? And, you know, instead of having, you know, newcomers trying to get into the promotion, reach out to your existing roster and do maybe a title tournament or a number one contenders tournament in one of these weight classes, get them in a, you know, take them to Vegas, you know, uh, the, the hotel, most of the hotels there are empty. Uh, try to find, uh, you know, a, 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 a casino, a casino hotel that has the arena attached to it. You know, have them a quarantine. It's sequestered for six to eight weeks. And maybe every Friday, Saturday night on ESPN, you do that Ultimate Fighter Live concept.
1: It's funny. I have a cousin who lives in Vegas. And on her Instagram yesterday, because she's in marketing, she did a video of just driving down the strip where there's literally, it was a Sunday afternoon. There is no one there. Because I mean, right when they close casinos across the country, I was like, oh, OK, we're getting we're getting legit yeah. when casinos are closing.
0: When they close Waffle House, then, you know, you're in trouble.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's like one of these questions that we got from uh, Steve. He says, he goes, how can be done safety with proper testing, staging, moving into the house? Why wouldn't a tough house type combo work? Sure. Being away from families would be tough but I think a surprising amount of fighters and crew would jump at the opportunity when faced with no income for six, eight months and let infected fighters compete and possibly infect each other question mark, or have a possible, uh, you know, judge sitting, uh, cage side without testing quarantine. None of these promotions have had the possible reward to take the risk. Uh, great opportunity experiments with judges removed from cage side and judging, watching off video monitors. In my conversations on uh, with regulators, I've never really gotten the the feeling that they like the idea
0: of judges not being cage side. We've talked about in the past. It's a completely different view when you watch it from the stands in comparison to being uh, that close up. There's blind spots when you sit that close to the cage because um, I've been that close to the cage. I don't know why judges are so opposed to it, but I guess it's uh, you know their prerogative. But I think the bigger issue with the bastard fight series, basically just taking the ultimate fighter concept, I think the fighters would be down for it. Six to eight weeks, uh, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. A lot of fighters are used to being away from their families uh, when they go away for, fight, uh, for training camps. A lot of fighters in the UFC have come from the ultimate fighter series, and if the bunny was, was uh, great enough... I think they would be willing to leave their families for for two to three months at a time. The bigger issue, though, to me, would be the support personnel needed. Mm -hmm. Can you get judges, referees, uh, cut men willing to do that? And to me, you would need to get that commitment from them because you can't have them coming to showing up to the event, the event day and then going back out. To, uh, into the public and potentially bringing the virus in, it kind of defeats the purpose. But if you could offer enough money and get enough people, get enough qualified support personnel to agree to do that, uh, to agree, and, and the support personnel would include the production staff as well. You can't have them go, you know, coming in and out. Um, but if you could make that work, the UFC, you know, potentially could be in in a prime position to offer live sports content in a absolute desert oasis right
1: now. You know, one thing that I think has was a curveball in all this. And you got to go back a couple of weeks is when Nevada shut down. I think that was always their plan. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, cause obviously the UFC apex, they can do a lot of that stuff with, you know, what they have in house and everything. It wouldn't have made a lot of sense because then you're not having to fly in, you know, you know, personnel from the UFC. I also say this, I have not talked to one fighter publicly or privately that has told me I will not fight. They've all said I'm ready to go,
0: but you did have for Chael Sonnen's event uh, several weeks ago. You had you know uh, Car- Carlos Condit, Roxanne Motiferi. They both uh, opted out. Um, I think you know with Carlos Condit, it wasn't so much about safety concerns. It was more about the fact that he couldn't put together any kind of training. You know he's going to grapple against Jake Ellenberger, and you know no training partners are around. You, you, you a lot of the fighters are locked out of the gym. That's the other aspect we haven't talked to this. The qualitative level of the fights, where fighters training right now, you know, Ray Longo, I, you know, read an article about him, he's doing virtual training, like, through his iPad, you know, and that's, for for MMA, that's, uh, that's, that's very unique and interesting, Uh, you know, but for I couldn't imagine, preparing for a high level, mixed martial arts fight against a world class competitor in the UFC, and kind of doing that, you know, at your house, you know, doing your 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 road work, and then trying to find a way to to, to get some work in, uh, you know, a lot of fighters. I guess if you you know, if the money is great enough, they're going to sacrifice that, and they're just going to step in the cage and fight. They're warriors, but from a safety perspective and a qualitative standpoint, how much is going to be lost?
1: When I look at what they're doing with UFC two forty nine, this is also why I really don't you know understand why you're doing it. You're risking losing. Tony Ferguson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov because if Justin Gaethje goes in there and wins, you've now lost that. Also, you got a chance, and, and and like I know the UFC loves interim title fights. This does not need to be an interim title fight. Come on!
0: And now's not the time. You know, now's not the time for for, for an interim title. And you know, Khabib pulling out of the fight. You know, there have been questions whether or not he could really get here, but there is a travel ban. You mm-hmm. know, and you're introducing a interim title because a fighter couldn't compete due to a global pandemic and a subsequent travel ban. Now, it's not a guy that got injured and pulled out of the fight. You know, you have to believe that Khabib would have shown up for this fight. If all things were equal.
1: Look, I think if you, if Khabib could get to wherever they're doing this fight, he shows up. Like it yeah. is absolutely ridiculous of people thinking he backed out of this fight. Cause he didn't want it. That's ridiculous.
0: Well, that was Tony Ferguson introducing that, and you know, people that are a Ferguson fan, they're going to capitalize on that. But it's, you know, all of the reasons why the UFC should not proceed with April 18th. You know, all the cons they they weigh up to here, and then all of the pros are like way down here. It's not even close. It's not, you know. So, if I was a betting man, Jason, I would say that UFC 249 does not happen. I, I will be shocked if the event happens, and. What's the undercard going to look like?
1: That's the big question mark. I mean, right now is there we, even going to be an undercard?
0: Is this going to be like a four or five fight card?
1: Oh no, I I think it's going to be twelve or thirteen fights. Really? Oh yeah. I don't think they have a. News? I don't think they have news? a hard time finding fighters. I don't think they How have a hard time at all. You don't think so? No, I think now. Look, I think if it's going to be all United States based fighters or fighters who are currently uh, residing in the United States, I don't think you're going to see any international fighters. I think it will be nothing but U.S.-based fighters. I agree with that. You know, but, I mean, look, it's, you know, the one thing is, and, you know, when I've talked to, to various people over the last week and a half, one of the words that has come up to me is opportunity, is that if you are ready to go, this is an opportunity you might be able to take advantage of financially. You, you, al- y- you might be As
0: able to be ready. All the gyms are closed unless you have a buddy and you've got keys and you're going in, you know, when it's, you know, dark, um, you know, but what, you know, who, who are your training partners though? You can, you've just, you know, you can get into the gym possibly if you pull a few strings, but who is helping you prepare for the fight?
1: No one. That's reality.
0: So what, what's the opportunity you're, you're taking this UFC, contract and you're going in far less than 100 percent
1: but if you can get the
0: financial aspect is it worth 10 and 10 i mean look if you're just engaging with tony ferguson it makes all the sense in the world but if you're a newcomer if you're someone that had fought in the ufc haven't fought in a couple of years and this is your way back you're coming in at an entry-level contract if you're if you've never fought in the ufc and you see this as your way in and you take an offer and you go in and you're, you're fighting for for the entry level price, price Is it worth it? You know, you have to go in and make an impression. What kind of impression can you make if you haven't had a real training camp
1: to me, it's not worth it. I mean, where can you even cut your weight? That That's the other side of this is you're asking fighters to cut weight during this pandemic. You know, like that, that's my thing. Like, why are you asking fighters to do that during this time?
0: Yeah, I just, I mean, whenever we did shows for Bellator, we always, you know, there, there were certain fighters that didn't use saunas. They would go in, and they would take a you know, a, a salt, an Epsom salt bath, or they were uh, so close to being on weight, they would just go on the treadmill or the bike for 45 minutes to an hour. But a lot of the fighters relied on the saunas. And, you know, they do have those personal saunas. But, you know, is the UFC willing to provide a personal sauna for each and every fighter? Because... You know what's going to be open I, I guess if they're going to one of these reservations that you know is, is truly cut off from mainstream American society one of these you know w- you know ones out west that are just to- like you know I, and I've been to some of them and you know you go in to, you go on that that tribal land and that one of the first things they tell you is this is not the United States. <laughs> You know, and so, I mean, if you go to those places, you know, I guess if it's a nicer casino, they might have a sauna. But, you know, if you're a fighter, do you want to cut, do you want to go into a sauna dripping with sweat and and all kinds of other germs uh, and cut weight with a bunch of other dudes?
1: No, (laughs) that'd be my answer. But, you know, but you know this, Sam, there's going to be plenty of fighters who will be willing to take that opportunity.
0: But it's like when you think about. You know, then if you're the UFC how do, how do you feel good about that and you can get away with it if nothing bad happens if, if the UFC proceeds and they pull off a van and nobody gets sick nobody goes home and get and nobody gets someone else sick then you know you, you you're gonna be able to say hey we provided a distraction we got the fighters paid we did this we, 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 you know it can be done other sports leagues but all it takes is for one person, who could be a carrier. Maybe they're not symptomatic. Mm-hmm. They come into the event, they infect other people. Those other people go back and, you know, maybe they infect family members that do have, you know, an autoimmune issue or a compromised immune system and somebody gets sick and dies from it. And it gets linked to a UFC fighter that fought, you know, what then, What? how do you deal with the PR blowback from that? Yeah. What if? Oh, and, and that's my
1: thing is, and, and look, there is, there is a, a part of the fan base that has railed on certain members at MA media. I look, I, I, if you ever just go look at Luke Thomas's mentions, uh, and of course, Luke has been one of the, you know, it's, it's kind of funny in a way, Sam is because, you know, the media for a long time has always been like, Oh, you guys are just a shill for the UFC. But then, when you say no, you should be doing an event during a global pandemic. It's like, well, how dare you say something like that? You know, it, it's just it's it, it's kind of interesting to see how this ha- has played out. And because, look, at the end of the day, anyone who covers this sport in a- in any capacity, we all need fights. That's the reality of it because that's what gets clicks. I mean, you can you can look across YouTube and podcasting and and, and various analytics, and you can tell. Since we went into this global pandemic, traffic is down. I mean, unless you're a, a news site that you know you're a you know a, a cable news outlet type thing, yeah, your ratings are up because people are, are tuning in. but it's also like it, it's one of these things where you want us to give our opinion, but when our opinion is something where we're critical of the UFC,
0: people don't want to hear it. Well, I think the response has been very divergent. Uh, You know, it's obviously a polarizing topic. And I think that, you know, Dana White has a strong following. He has his detractors, but he has his loyalists. And I think that, you know, if you go out there because I've experienced it, you you put anything out there that's negative towards the UFC, uh, you know, uh, producing an event, promoting an event, promoting the April 18th event. They have, you know, Dana has those loyalists that will come out and sometimes they don't make the most logical or rational arguments, but they know that they want to watch MMA and Dana White is their MMA promoter and Dana White wants to put on MMA. And if you're, you're someone that, uh, you know, has any questions or doubts about that, you know, they're, they're going to come after you.
1: Look, and when Dana White has come after media, to me, he's going after two media people. He's going after Luke Thomas and he's going after uh Trent uh Rensmith, who who is obviously has had not a lot of great things to say about the UFC. No, no, uh-huh.
0: Um, you know, but And Luke Luke has a more moderate perspective. So, you know, and I think that he's able to go, go out in front of these issues and talk about it in a much more articulate and eloquent mm-hmm. eloquent way yes. than Dana White. So when Dana gets puts himself into that feud and he hasn't I don't think he's mentioned Luke by name, but I think by by reading some of his tweets, he's alluded yeah. And I think he's trying to, uh, you know, take his base and get him to, to and unleash them on Luke. But, you know, Dana is a little I think he's tone deaf when it comes to the perception mm-hmm. of how he comes off when he makes these comments, when he goes on ESPN. And the biggest issue I had with with him was the the Brasilia event, you know, having the fighters go down there. Um, having his whole team go down there and then, you know, telling everyone it's basically OK, it's not a big deal. We're going to keep producing MMA. And then he himself does not go down there. And I, in his defense, he typically does not go down for the, those events. You know, he doesn't go to every UFC event. But if ever there was a time to lead from the front to make a statement, you know, Dana White is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. He can charter a private plane. He can even pay to have his, a personal doctor go with him to make sure that, you know, he's OK. Um, and he could have taken those steps, and and he didn't do it. He was at home, so it's very difficult when you know you have a a, a boss, a leader, a CEO, if you will, that's telling his workforce to go out there and, and and take the risk, to assume the risk, and then he himself is not willing to go out and assume that very same risk. It's yeah, a bad that, look. It was. It's that, a bad look.
1: No, it's it's an awful look, and and that's one of the things I've pointed out is that you know. However long this global pandemic goes on for, we have no idea how long it's going to go on for. I mean, look, every day there's something new, something changes. None of us know exactly when, but if the UFC ultimately does April 18th and and they can continue doing a show a week, like, you know, their schedule dictates, Dana White's got to be at every one of those shows because if he's not, that should be a memo to all fighters.
0: Yeah. I I agree with you hundred percent, you know, but Let's say they can pull off April 18th. What's the likelihood that they're going to be able to do an event per week? I mean, they're going to have to, wherever they go, if it's uh, native land out west, I mean, they're basically, if they find one venue that they can pull this off, they're basically going to have to set up shop and just run a weekly fight series out of that venue. Oh,
1: that's why I think it's going to happen. Whatever venue it is, I think you're going to see them there every week. But you know the
0: other thing. Well, you know, let, the, let me ask you this: If they go to an outlaw, they they put they produce an event with an outlaw commission. You know how the commissions are. The the ABC they frown upon any promoter that goes out and produce and promotes an event with a commission that falls outside the ABC. UFC's never done that. UFC only, has never done that. If they if they do that you know look do do i think that the ufc is going to be able to come back and still produce events sanctioned events absolutely but mark ratner has a lot of great relationships Mm -hmm. and when they go back into these states they typically are able to get things done that uh, a, a smaller promoter they're gonna really hurt a lot of those relationships
1: i would say the reason that is because of mark ratner because you know this, when you talk to people in the regulatory side, Mark Radner is, I mean, he's the god of regulators. Let's let's just, that's the way a lot of people will describe him. So as long as Mark Ratner is, all, I mean, look, you go to a tribal land, Mark Ratner's the one who's going to be regulating the event. Let, let's not kid ourselves. He's going to yeah. be the one picking and choosing who the judges no, are going to be. be.
0: Self-regulated event. The UFC needs that level of control because if somebody does call out, the UFC needs to be able to call somebody else up and throw as much money as they need to to make the event happen. When you do that through a commission, you can't really say, hey, oh the, the, the commission doctor called out two hours before the show. Great, we'll get a local doctor. We'll just pay. You, you can't funnel money that way when you're working with a commission. When it's more self-contained and self-regulated, then you can start funneling money that way.
1: I remember being at a local event a couple of years ago and the doctor showed up like two hours late. As and they hadn't done weigh-ins yet, she had all these guys dehydrated, laying on the floor, waiting for the doctor to show up.
0: And the UFC doesn't face that typically. They, yeah. you know, if, if the doctor doesn't show up within a certain amount of time, they just pick up the phone and you know it gets done. If you're, it just it go. I don't want to repeat myself, but they, they're a very resourceful company, but they're going to face challenges that they've never faced before.
1: You know, and it's not just them. You know, it's all MMA promotions that are going to face challenges. You know, I look at the regional scene, of you know, when you talk about people who have financial restrictions. You know, based on you know what, depending on their job, are they still getting paychecks? You know, I wonder, is it going to take you know six months for the regional scene from a, a financial side, to come together? Because look, a regional show can't do crowless events. It's no, just no, it can it can happen. Um but this one question we got here from uh Halvert he said for the rest of the year when everything is safer can the UFC and Bellator run streaming only events with no spectators to get content out to ESPN and DAZN. Now they may they may be the only two promotions that can do this. Um you know it's if if the California State Athletic Commission starts allowing events I think that obviously the, the key would, I think, for Bellator would be they just go to a Viacom soundstage and they would yeah. just do events from yeah. a soundstage.
0: Yeah. And no, the UFC
1: that, obviously I, could do the same thing.
0: Right. I think that's, if once the restrictions are relaxed, that's that, that's the first thing they're going to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, another question kind of related to that. He goes, Will promotions like Bellator, or PFL, try to do cards with no crowds? I mean, Assuming with crowd, not possible for foreseeable future.
0: Well, PFL already does shows with no crowds, so. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're not wrong.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Look, PFL has got to start having local ticket sellers. They have to. You have to. Or you got to go to hometowns of whoever's headlining the, the main, main event. It's tough to watch PFL. Yeah they have to do a better job of selling their talent because outside of Kayla Harrison, you got to, you got to find who are these fighters that people are going to go out of their way to watch fight.
0: I mean, I, when I've seen the fights, they, they've been pretty good, you know, um, pretty competitive, but yeah, obviously you mentioned it lacks star power and you know, the crowds, there's no energy when I watch those events coming from the crowd.
1: No, no, they're, they're, they're just trying to get people in the building. Yep. You, you know, and you and and with PFL, I want to see them succeed because them succeeding is great for the industry. But I, I just I, I look at them and I go, man, you're going through a ton of cash. At what point does it turn around? And is there that turnaround point? I don't think there is. You know, I mean, I I, I think they're going all in this year. I think this is if it, if it's going to work, it's gotta it's gotta turn around this year. I don't know if there's a fourth
0: season. Well, I don't know they're going to have this season.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is you know they were supposed to start. I want to say middle of May, end of May, around like Memorial Day.
0: I mean, I, I you know, Jason, I think this is going to drag on. They're talking about you know the peak coming in a week or two, but then they're talking about a second wave. They're talking about the fall flu season that there's going to be resurgence. You know, this is something unfortunately that I think we're going to have to deal with. A lot longer than we initially anticipated. I mean, there's no guarantee the NFL season starts on time. I mean, the, the, the president can say that he wants the season to start on time and he thinks it should start on time, but if you listen to the doctors, if you read what's out there, this is not going to go away anytime soon. Really, the, 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 this isn't going to go away until there's a you know a, a medically approved vaccine mm-hmm. that is out there. I mean, this. This is not going to be eradicated overnight. It's not going to be eradicated until that vaccine is, is is approved and readily available. And it's great that it's in testing stages right now. But from everything that I've read, the earliest that it's going to be available for mainstream widespread use will be, you know, early 2021.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at just in terms of MA, you look at the long-term effects that this is going to have. You know, is if everything goes the way the UFC wants to, they're going to look great. But... There's a lot of risk that they're putting out there. I mean, and so you look at it. I mean, obviously, we've seen what the zone is doing. I I think that they are. This may be the ultimate failure of the zone if they're not going to start paying rights fees to events yeah, that just happen. That's a very that. short term thought process, not long term.
0: You know, it's you look at the major networks. CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, you know, the networks that have the deals with, with the NFL and, and the bigger sports leagues, I believe that even in the situation of a strike, when the sports league cannot produce games because of a strike, the, the networks still pay the rights fees. Mm-hmm. And now you have this act of God um, and you have DeZone really going against the grain, doing something unprecedented, introducing the idea of withholding rights fees. There is not a mainstream sports league that will ever consider a, 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 a serious offer from DAZN. Sure, they might give some streaming rights and you know, allow you know, some secondary and you know, uh, tertiary uh, television rights packages. But if DAZN wants to pony up and get a, a, a primary sports package, there's not a sports organization worth its salt that will do business with them.
1: No, no. It's when I saw that, I think it was a sports business journal that originally came out with that story. I'm like, man, that is very short-term thinking. That is not looking at long-term.
0: Well, I think the reality though is the zone has to do that because they have no other choice. Yeah. I, you know, NBC, you know, CBS, Fox, you know, those networks, they have a war chest. They they have money that they can fall back on, lines of credit, other things that they have protecting them. I think the zone are stretched pretty thin right now. I don't think that they've been able to grow a critical mass of uh, subscriptions like they've projected. I don't, from everything that I've gathered and the people that I've talked to, you know, the, the, the zone business model is not going very well. Even prior to COVID-19, they were struggling from what I understand.
1: I canceled my subscription, um, last month. You know, after the Bellator event, uh, you know, did it happen? I canceled because I was like, well, A, the only reason I have the Zone is for Bellator products. And it was very – and at that point, Bellator wasn't having a show until May. Now they're not having a show till at least June 6th. So it's like I'm not just going to give the Zone money because – just to give them money. Um, you know, but I will say this. One thing that I have, you know, noticed – and because, you know, look, this is a time where you can grow yourself in various ways. And when I watched the WWE Network – is they do an amazing job with these documentaries of, of telling these stories. Like I was watching uh, the documentary they did on edge of, you know, kind of how, you know, him coming back and you know, you saw the, the trailer for the undertaker one. And, and I look at that and say, man, UFC, they've really missed the boat on that. And, and I feel like that this is almost a time where if they had some of that content ready to roll, this would could in a you know not alleviate the issues they have, but could be secondary programming they have to offer to you know the fans who are are, are looking for this content because you know a couple of weeks ago when Bellator did that re air on YouTube, I remember you know I turned it on live, it was like nine thousand people watching it, and like Monday I looked at two hundred fifty thousand views. It showed me that that the MMA audience is craving for fights, but I think that overall the majority of the community is going, we want to see fights, but it's a global pandemic. This isn't the right thing to do.
0: But I think that there is a large segment of society that is craving entertainment, first-run entertainment. There's a a huge sports population out there that, you know, they have not seen a live sporting event in in quite some time. And I think that, you know, if done right, you know, if Dana changed his tone and they really explored – and introduced safer ways to do it that they could make this into a feel good opportunity. They could definitely flip the script. Dana White has gone about it completely wrong, and I really think that putting this out on pay-per-view if they proceed with April 18th is a big mistake because they have a chance to be the here. They you know, the, right now they're the villains, but you put this out on ESPN as a with no paywall or you know, just just a cable subscription, um they put it out or maybe even you know find a way to get this on abc get it out over the air a network and try to get abc To get, you know, to to put in a rights fee, try to bring in some of the sports books to to kick in a little bit extra money because they're hurting right now too. Try to find a way to do this from a feel good perspective to give people a sense of normalcy. And if you do that, you may not only get the MMA community to, to watch this event, but you may get just general sports fans that have never watched an MMA event or have not watched an MMA event in years to tune in. You know, there's a lot of people. I was listening to sports radio over the weekend. A lot of people calling in talking about WrestleMania. And they said, oh, I haven't watched wrestling since I was a kid, but you know, here it is. It's a live, you know, sporting mm-hmm. event. I'm gonna I'm gonna subscribe to the WWE network. You know, from so from the UFC's perspective, um I just well there's a lot of things I don't understand. And I guess I'm repeating myself again, but I, I just can't get over it. The idea that they're gonna put this out on pay-per-view. Uh, when they could find another avenue, another, uh, another outlet for this and actually come across as the good guys, you know, why they're not exploring that, I, I, you know, I guess it has to do with finances, but, you know, maybe if they were not so short-sighted and they were willing to leave some money on the table, they could help themselves in the long run. Because there's a lot of companies, like you said, there are opportunities. There are companies that are to come out from this ahead, but there's a lot of companies and I think, uh, you know, you're talking about zone possibly and companies like that, that once, even when this is over, they may be long gone, and obviously that's not going to be the UFC, not by a stretch. But they are one of the few companies in a unique position where they can come out ahead of this, and I, you know, I would love for them to explore that idea of doing a sequestered fight series.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's one of these things of, I, I you know, the going on here view is is a baffling decision yeah. for me. Because.
0: And if they didn't, sorry to cut you off, but you if know. they didn't have this ESPN plus deal, if this was just the UFC selling a pay per view direct to the public and relying on the public buys, the number of buys, whether or not the event was profitable, do you still think they would go ahead with a pay per view right now?
1: Probably. But this is it's, the thing. If you want to go ahead and pay per view, offer it at a discounted rate or something. You know, but what, offer if it, what if it
0: only does 75K buys? Is it worth it? No. I I I don't. I don't see how. I think the UFC gets paid what, regard no matter how much it draws, they get paid you know a guaranteed minimum based on what five hundred thousand buys. I believe so. Yeah, I believe that's correct number. So it makes sense from that perspective to go with pay per view. But if they didn't have that deal in place and you put you go through all this trouble and you only get seventy five to eighty k buys, was it worth it then?
1: Well, I think the end of the day is there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be looking for to pirate this thing. They're going to be looking for those illegal streams. I mean, that, that's just the reality of the situation yeah. is that people are going to sit there because, you know, I mean, look, I, I'm I'm thankful. I'm in, I'm in a good financial situation, but there's a lot of people out there that they're not in that case. They're not in a situation where, you know, they can just fork over, you know, 65 bucks to watch a UFC pay review. I mean, look, I, I want to see what the entire fight card looks like. You know, if we were if we were under normal situations. GC versus Ferguson is a premium How? level product. Yep. Um, hey, what's the rest of the card look like? It, 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 are we going to get some other premium type fights? I mean, I know there's been a lot of discussion about uh potential Francis Ngannou and Jazier Rosenstruck to be on, on this fight. Of course, that was supposed to headline the Columbus card. But you know, it's just like to me, like if you were if you wanted to give a gift to the fans and put this thing on ESPN. But I, I just I don't see it happening, and I, I think that there's and, and just when I put that tweet out about you know the I put a screenshot on the ESPN app of, of the price point, it was all negative. There was not one positive reaction to it. And, and the UFC had to know that was coming. If they didn't think that was coming, they need to hire some new
0: people. Yep. Yeah, I you know I could be wrong. Everything's changing by the hour. I don't see how this event happens.
1: Twelve days, Sam. Twelve days. A lot of things can happen in twelve days. You know, and,
0: and look, as I said earlier in the show, I domestic do no- travel can be shut down within twelve. You know, you don't know.
1: I had a buddy on a plane yesterday. He put it on Instagram. There had to be ten people on on a, a Southwest flight. So he, his <laughs> caption was: "There's more crew members than actual people on on the flight."
0: And that's another aspect I I wanted to bring up and, you know, it wouldn't stop the event from happening, but, you know, having been involved with so many MMA events, I can tell you that it it was very common for fighters to miss flights. And, you know, they would tell you, Oh, my car broke down, but really they overslept. And (laughs) it's not, it was never a big deal because you just rebooked the flight and they're, you know, they show up two to three hours, you know, after when they were supposed to, but with fewer flights going out now, you know, a fighter misses a flight, or a flight gets canceled. There's no guarantee they're going to be able to fly out the same day they had been scheduled. They may not be able to get out to the next day. So it's and that that would apply to some of the support personnel that would be flying too. So that that that's another issue um, that would could wreak havoc on the event. You know,
1: look, I, I as I said earlier in the show, I don't blame Daniel White for not saying where this event's going to be. If I'm him, look, it, whenever it whenever those managers get those battle agreements of the location. It's going to get leaked pretty quickly.
0: Yeah.
1: You, Sam, you know this business. There yeah. it's it's very tough to keep things quiet in this business. You know, and, and you know, and, and I my, my guess is you know we know the location by
0: Wednesday. You yeah, know, it's cuz they got to start it, booking flights now. Yeah. You know, I I just think if I was in the UFC's position, I would step back. I would try to come up with some kind of proposal that you could present to the Nevada Commission. that says, hey, you know, you're you're not doing it. You say you say you say right now you're not going to do events, but here's a way that we can do it safely. Um, You know, and that's kind of the quarantine sequestered concept. And, you know, I think if they presented that to the Nevada commission, they could probably get that passed through. But doing a doing an event with a renegade commission, I never thought we would see that happen. Here's,
1: Here's a question. If Lorenzo Fertitta was still the owner of the UFC, is it easier for them to
0: get a show done in Nevada? I still think they could get, I, I think that they could open up the Apex Center. If they want to present MMA, you know, with business as usual, no, they're not going to get the, any commission to buy into that. But you look at what the NBA has floated, that concept, if they could come up with something like that, foolproof it, you know, say, hey, we're going to, you know, the, you know bring, we're going to bring the fighters in, you know, we're going to, they're, they're, they're going to be tested, you know, they're going to, there's going to be a waiting period. And then, uh, you know, then we're going to start up the fights and then, you know, everybody's still going to be tested. Temperatures are going to be taken. No one's going to be allowed to leave this controlled environment. Um, You know, if they could come up with something like that, you know, put it together as a proposal and present that to a legitimate athletic commission, there's a chance that it could get approved because I think as time goes on and I think when I say time goes on, I'm talking about two to three weeks people are going to grow sick of the restrictions and they are going to start to push the envelope a little bit. They're going to start to open things up. Um, But if you don't do it the right way and something negative does happen, something bad happens, and that's going to shut everything down again.
1: Sam, I'm already sick of being stuck at home. (laughs) Literally. I'd like to go out. I'm not a homebody. I want want to be out and about and and doing whatever. Yeah, I, I just, oh, man. It's basically been about three weeks for me. Wow. The, f- the first week was my wife was on spring break. So I kind of basically taken that. I was really going to take all that week essentially off. I'd, I'd do some stuff in the studio here and there. And then, of course, last week was, you know, that first week. And yeah, this week, yeah, it's like, man, I just want to get back to normal life. That's all. Is it
0: too much to ask? Yeah, it's just, it's unfortunate. I don't think it's going to happen for a while. I, oh. you know my guess
1: is we're we're talking
0: june best case yeah. scenario i mean may
1: 1 would be the best case scenario yeah but i i really think we're looking at june i really do you know and, and we talked about the long term effects i do wonder if we're talking a year from now do we look at this this situation how dana white and the ufc have handled it that we're going to look at and say, this is the moment where Scott Coker was really able to capitalize.
0: I mean, he's obviously coming off, you know, much better, much, you know, rational, much more professional. Um, but when you say capitalize, would you mean create a larger market share, take away from the UFC's market share? What, what I would do you say? Take- he,
1: would, he would take away their market share by, You look at what he did with paying those fires on the Mohegan card. And all of a sudden there might be a free agent coming up in the UFC that goes, man, maybe that's the type of guy I want to fight for. And then all of a sudden it becomes a domino effect where maybe more fighters start looking at, you know, and and maybe it gets them that, that prize prospect on the regional scene that says, you know what? I'd rather go fight for that guy than the guy that wants to put a card on during a pandemic.
0: But I don't think the UFC sees it from that perspective. I think Dana White sees it from the perspective, you know, the, the, the analogy I would use is, uh, you know, Forrest Gump. In the in the movie, you know, when the uh, all the, the the hurricane hits and all the shrimping boats boats are destroyed, and he's the last shrimping boat in town. I think Dana White sees this as a way to gain market share that no one else is producing live sports content outside of pro wrestling, and that if we can get you know back in the game, if we can produce live sporting events when no one else, when the NBA is not running, the NFL is not running, Major League Baseball is not running that we can gain market share. We can differentiate ourselves in the marketplace and, you know, satisfy the MMA fan, but possibly also attract non MMA fans and grow our market share.
1: Well, Dana's got some issues away from the cage. He's got to worry about right now.
0: Well, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if I want to get in.
1: <laughs> it was one of the questions was, how has Dana kept his personal issue secret for so long?
0: I, you know, I remember when that story
1: came out. Yeah. Like 2016. It was blind item. Yeah. It was blind. I, I remember that. And, uh, that is, I think that is going to be a story that obviously follow those Las Vegas reporters because they're going to be the ones that are, are are going to have some insight on that one. But yeah, it's uh that that was an interesting little nugget that came out the other day.
0: Well, I mean, you work in MMA long enough on the inside, you hear all kinds of rumors. Oh, um, you know, and, and from my perspective, you know, if it. If, You know, from a professional standpoint, you know, I I have no problems expressing my opinions about, you know, how someone conducts themselves professionally. And, you know, once something hits the news, I have no problems with journalists reporting it. You know, once it becomes a matter of public record, I don't have a problem with journalists reporting it as a news story. It's just a lot of people. I see a lot of editorial commentary going out, especially on MMA Twitter right now. And it's like, you know, for me, from my perspective, that's his personal life. I want to shy away from it.
1: No. No, there, there's a lot to that. I mean, it, it's one of these things where, you know, there's, I think there's things that would not have been reported on seven, eight years ago that now are, because I think it's just kind of the way, the way things are covered now have changed, you know, it, it's just, it, it's a different world, yep. you know? Um, but yeah, it's, when I saw, it like come across my timeline, I was like, hmm, you know, it's so I always tell people like. Of all the conversations I have with people in the MMA industry, 95% were probably off the record.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, you hear all kinds of stuff, but I, I you know, I actually feel bad for, for him from, uh, you know, a certain perspective. Cause you look at, you know, the situation, the, the, it was, you know, alleged extortion, Correct. um, you know, and, and now he's got, you know, a lawyer who was convicted, a convicted felon, you know, and I guess disbarred in 2012. And now all of a sudden it is practicing law and he's the, you know, the one carrying this lawsuit. And, you know, I, it doesn't seem like a lawsuit that has great merit. Uh, and and I, I would not be someone that would want to go against Dana White and bring a law, frivolous lawsuit because I, I you know, Dana's going to crush crush these guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is my thing about UFC 249. And we'll kind of end on this is I wonder, is there, something Dana has in his back pocket that's going to convince people to pay 65 bucks.
0: I think you're going to it goes back to the piracy issue. I think there's a lot of people that are going to want to steal the pay-per-view and I'm not endorsing that, but I think there's a lot of people that are going to want to watch it because there's nothing not, not much going on, but I don't think you're going to find a ton of people willing to pay for it.
1: One thing people haven't mentioned, there is a loss of revenue from there is no commercial business every bar is shut down. Yeah. You know, the place that, that I'm a part of, we were scheduled to have UFC 249. Obviously we're not having that because we're takeout and delivery only. So, you know, that that's a, another piece of the financial aspect. That's just not there is that, you know, you know, all the, the bars and restaurants that had committed to show this pay-per-view, you know, weeks ago to Johan promotions, you know, they've all told Johan, Hey, uh, don't charge my credit card. We're not, we're not airing that. Yeah. Because we're not open for, for dine-in business. It's it's, The sport never surprises me, Sam. Never surprises me. It's, it's like, literally, uh, like when I got the text that John Jones was arrested, I was in a meeting. I was just like, oh, I'm not
0: really shocked. If UFC 249 takes place on April 18th, that will shock me. That will be one thing that happened in MMA that did shock me.
1: I don't think it would shock me. It would surprise me if it ultimately happens. I, I wouldn't say shock,
0: though logistically i just don't I, you know we haven't even gotten involved you know i think you look at luke thomas and, and some of the people that have, have you know made the made the case against this they've gone from a moral perspective and we haven't even gotten into that we've focused on the logistics of it and just from a pure logistical standpoint there is going to be a, a few snags that the ufc cannot overcome in order to pull this off
1: you know and one of the things on the media side And, you know, Luke has, you know, and and I commend Luke, and I agree with a lot of things Luke has said about this. But, you know, one of the things of when you're covering this sport is, and he mentioned this months ago, is the promoters have so much power over the media. They have the power of access. And Luke basically has taken the road of, I'm going to do my show, I'm going to express my opinion, and you know what, if I can't get an interview, I'm cool with it, no problem. You know, and that's, I mean, look, and I've kind of gone down that route of like, look, I'm gonna do my show. I'm gonna tell you my opinion. If it's gonna yep. cost me an interview, oh, oh well, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me. You know, I, I want people when they they sit there and let's download my show or, or put something I put it on YouTube. They understand that they're getting how I feel, and you know, and it has, and look, it has consequences. Lucas had to pay for it. You know, you can be very pro-promoter and you'll get every interview you want, but if you're gonna take that route and I've lost interviews because of things I've said, you know,
0: doesn't affect me though. And it, it, it is what it is at the end of the day. <laughs> it
1: is what it is. What are you, Max Holloway over there? Yes. Yes. Anything else you want to get
0: on uh, off your chest? No, you man, know? we've been going for a while. It's funny. It took a global t- pandemic to bring us back together.
1: Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's busy in my world, man. <laughs> you know, usually this is the time of year where it's kind of slowed down. Not really the case.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just grateful. I'm one of the, I shouldn't say few people working, but there's a lot of people that are not able to work right now and they're suffering and my heart goes out to them. And, but you know, I'll get calls from people while I'm driving, you know, out there and people like, you're still out there. You're crazy. And I'm like, you know, they're like, how can you do it? I'm like, how can you not? You know, it just, uh, you know, there's people that are in the situation where they can't work. They just, you know, their business has been shut down, but I know people that are just, they're, they're so worried about this. They're just not going to work. And from you know my perspective, I, I, I'm busy because I, I, I got to stay busy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I just I look at as I'm trying to take advantage of every opportunity I can get, you know, and in trying to, you know, and I found myself even with like, you know, fire interviews I've been doing. It's I've always been a more of a, a conversational type of interviewer. I, I don't like I don't sit there and write down 10 questions and go, OK question one, two, I, I just, I have a conversation, right? Um, you know, and so I found myself having more conversations with fighters, you know, over the past two weeks, you know, I mean, like I, I was interviewing Andre, uh, Andre Ull earlier today and Andre is slated to have a baby this week. And I was like, I go, man, what's going through your mind of yeah. the hospital. And, you know, he's kind of alluding to the fact that I may not be able to be at the hospital and I want to be there. You know, and and there's that aspect. I mean, and I think, you know, there's things that we can all relate to of kind of, you know, because you you really can't talk about, hey, you've got a fight coming up, you know, because all these fires. the one thing they say is, like, I'm trying to stay ready. You know, obviously, I can't go to the gym. So I'm, like, literally in my garage. And so I'm trying to stay ready just because if an opportunity does come about. But that's, you know, I, I feel for fires right now because there's so much uncertainty out there for them.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, they're independent contractors, so it, it's not like they have salaries coming in. I mean, if they don't fight, they don't get paid. If there's no fights, there's no opportunity. So, you know, would I like to see MMA happen in some way, shape, or form? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from a moral perspective, yes, people are dying. People are suffering. I, I understand that, but this is going to be the new norm for quite some time, and people are looking for a sense of normalcy. Uh, something to get their mind off of this. You know, I, I got, I, I'm thankful for Tiger King last, you know, a couple weekends ago, you know, that I, I, I was literally transported into another world. It was a weird, wacky, surreal world, but uh, for about like two hours, I forgot what was going on. Um, and I think people are looking for those type of, uh, types of, types uh, of escapes. And I think sports uh, can provide that, but it has to be done in, in, in a safe way. And there's no way you're going to eliminate all of the risk, but, you know, just saying that we're going to go ahead and promote an MMA event with business as usual, and the only real change that we're going to make is there's not going to be a crowd. I don't think that's good enough.
1: It's like I've said for a couple of weeks now. I'm torn. You know, I, I want to be able to watch sports. You know, I want to be able to watch fights, but it's a global pandemic, and uh, you know, so that that's kind of you know where I stand. You know, and also like I live in Tampa. You want to talk about a economy that's been hit hard? No, yeah. So we were supposed to have the NCAA basketball tournament here and WrestleMania. By the way, it was raining last night, so WrestleMania would have been in the rain. If it was well, here, well, they would
0: have had that uh, high canopy. The the wrestlers would have been fine. It would have been the crowd that would have got <laughs> felt the yeah. effects of.
1: Yeah, man, that was. Uh, I, I watched both nights of WrestleMania.
0: I did not watch it this year.
1: You know, didn't necessarily get really get the uh, the Cena Bray Wyatt matchup, but
0: yeah. You know, you know I have tried to watch AEW. I've tried to watch NXT, and it's just it's. Tough for me to watch sports in an empty arena.
1: Oh, totally. The thing the thing I always wonder about wrestling is, you know, the, you know, how can they talk to each other when there's no crowd? Yeah. You know, to hey, this is a spot we're doing next. You know, that that's always a, you know, and that's the one thing that's that's fascinating about an empty MMA show is you're going to hear so many things. You know, and like I, I had Bram Moreno on my show last week, and he was on that Brasilia card, and of course he fought on the alternate Fighter, and he kind of like he goes, yeah, it was their unique environments, but also different environments because you know at the Alton Firehouse, you had all your teammates, whatnot. He goes, literally, like there's like ten people <laughs> in the arena.
0: Well, I, I I think I've told the story. Uh, it was Pat Curran versus Roger Huerta, when they fought in Boston. And- <laughs> You know, I took that shot at PFL, but, you know, it was with Bellator. We did a lot of empty arena shows as well. And that, you know, we were at a a theater in Boston um, and we put on the uh, Werta versus Curran fight and the arena was empty. You could hear everything and you could hear the corners and the judges could hear the corners. And I tell you what, I think that uh, Jeff Curran won that fight for Pat Curran because it was a very close fight. But any time that Pat. Through a strike that even grazed Roger, Jeff and the corner got up and they made it sound like it was a knockout blow. And I think after doing that uh, for a, you know, a, a consistent amount of time during the course of the fight, I think the perception was by any judge that was sitting there that Pat was winning that fight. And I thought it was much closer than the score cards came in at.
1: Yeah, I was actually, I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, oh, what, what are some classic Bellator fights? And, and I was thinking... Man, you look at some of those Pitbull, Strauss, Curran wars throughout yeah. the years. Um, the Joe Warren, Joe Soto fight yeah. was one that really stuck out A to lot me. of the
0: fights that Joe Warren w- w- was in. you know, Just those crazy comebacks that he had. Yeah,
1: I mean, I just, you know, this is because I think uh, from a promoter's side, I think this is a great opportunity to kind of sell your history. And it seems like Bellator, I, I don't know if they've all, I don't think they've, they've embraced the early days of the promotion, but it seems, I think they're starting to, they're starting to embrace it a little bit. You're seeing more stuff. They, 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 um, some
0: of those guys are still around, you know, quite a lot of those guys are still around.
1: They, they were, I think it was on Twitter. They were, was it Mastodon Was that Bellator one? It was yeah. one of the
0: first couple of shows. Yeah.
1: And, and I think was, Anik was calling the fights.
0: Yeah. So uh, Jason Chambers, John he's season one on ESPN Deportes.
1: Whew, that was a long time ago. Yep. <laughs> a long time ago. Yep.
0: Oh. But uh,
1: Sam, of course, uh, anybody ever wants to hit up you up on uh, Twitter, where they can do that at, man?
0: Uh, just uh, hit me up at Sam Kaplan, B-A-C, Kaplan with a C, C-A-P-L-A-N.
1: Awesome. Of course, I am at Jason underscore Floyd. Of course, this has been the MMA Insiders Podcast. Of course, you can always check out the MMA reports. On, uh, on RadioInfluence.com Also on my YouTube channel Some of the latest interviews up there right now Include uh, talking to T.J. Brown UFC featherweight And also UFC bantamweight Andre Ull Follow Jason Floyd and Sam Kaplan on Twitter Find them at Jason underscore Floyd And at Sam Kaplan MMA This is the MMA Insiders Podcast
0: On Radio Influence